Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Ro Khan. I'm Richard Roper, and I'm Richard Roper, and I'm back because I'm Richard Roper, and we're bringing everything back, right? <laughs> right, we are bringing everything back. Why is everything coming back? All these franchises from our childhood, some of our parents' childhoods, uh, and, and our kids' childhoods, why are they coming back now? Hmm. We're going to find out the answer to that, but first let me tell you that Screen Time, the Rowan Roper podcast, is... Produced by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing. It drives your overall business success, doesn't it? Because they believe that today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com today to get started. This isn't funny, Amber. Would you like to play a game, Tara? <laughs> doors unlocked. All doors locked. Doors unlocked. Okay, that's a clip from the new Scream, which is a sequel to the four previous screams and uh, is really kind of a great follow-up. Uh, people say, do I need to have seen the movies? Well, yeah, in this case you do, but especially the first one uh, from 26 years ago with uh, Drew Barrymore, of course, and people know by now it had that famous opening scene because everybody thought Drew Barrymore was the star of the movie and not since Janet Lee and Psycho got killed off were people <laughs> so surprised to find out that that was not a, you know, a, fa a, a fake news. It was real news within the context of the movie. She was killed off. Yep. And then Nev Campbell and Courtney Cox and David Arquette uh, became the stars of the movie and then are back for this requel, if you will. They're calling it a requel. Oh. It's a sequel and a reboot. It's got a whole new generation of young teenagers high schoolers and you know what i always love about the screen movies is they're very self-aware yeah so we're in the same town and they and then there's the whole there's the canon of stab movies which are the movies within the movie so according to the screen canon the real life stories in screen were turned into the stab franchise with ah. different actors playing the nev campbell part and the Courtney Cox part, the David Arquette part. So I thought they did a great job with this role. They brought it back. And, you know, at this point now, of course, uh, uh, Gail Weathers and Sidney Prescott and Dewey, they're all like, you know, 50 years old. This is, you know, this is a long time ago. And they've kind of scattered to the winds. But then when the killings start again with somebody either imitating Ghostface or something going on there, they're all drawn back in. So they kind of tie that in nicely. Then you got a, a, a nice cast of young actors, and they're all referencing the other movies, but it's still just a fun, scary movie. And they have a lot of fun with stuff like, here's a horror movie trope that always drove me nuts. If uh, if someone has been attacked in, within an inch of their life, and then they're put in a hospital room, right? And there's always a guard stationed outside, and going all the way back to the godfather, there's always a moment where that, that guard sucks. The guard outside the, <laughs> the hospital room sucks, right? right? He, and he looks like he sucks. He's cast there's to always look like he's not going to do his job. And according to horror movies and scary movies and most movies, hospitals close at 10 o'clock. They seem to close at 10. All the lights go out. <laughs> There's no activity. Yeah. There's maybe one nurse at a desk, but she goes off to get to the vending machine. And then you have the patient who almost got murdered all of a sudden is like walking down the hall in their gown with the IV drip. And they're hearing strange noises. And it's like, where'd everybody go? 
hospitals, you know, hospitals tip. They don't really close, right? I mean, they gotta stay open. I mean, listen, yes, doctors keep hours and stuff, but you know, anybody who stayed in the hospital, you know that, like, you know, right? You can't sleep if, because you, because there's so much shit going around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's all bright neon out. There, yeah, you know, so what are you doing? But they have fun right. with that because at yes. one point, one of the one of the young characters who gets stabbed, she's got a she gets hurt again, and she goes, "Can we go to a different hospital?" <laughs> Which I think is a great line, you know. But I think it's mixed bag with some of these, Row. They brought, and by the you way, know, you should yeah. mention, I know we mentioned in the previous podcast, so people yeah. probably heard this, but that thing is a huge success. It's doing very well playing only in theaters. Now, I like that uh, previously, just not that long ago, earlier this year, we had the Matrix Resurrections, which brought mm-hmm. back Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss and their characters who we thought had been killed at the end of the original trilogy. And I thought that... The, it was one of those things where they're like, oh, just forget everything that happened in the other three Matrix films. Which you yeah. can in the Matrix world. Yeah, and then that's the excuse they got. But to me, I didn't find that necessary. I thought it had achieved its closure. And then we had Ghostbusters Afterlife, which had a clever premise because it's the daughter of one of the main characters and the you know, the grandchildren, and there's all these callbacks. And eventually, so listen, spoiler alert, folks. You know, obviously, Harold's gone. Harold Ramis is gone. So they mm-hmm. did like a, a weird virtual hologram version of him at one point. Yeah. Uh, and they did bring back Danny Aykroyd and Bill Murray and Ernie Hudson. I will say this. Bill Murray is a genius, but as you and I both know, having dealt with him and interacted with him, uh, <laughs> he, is, he is not, it is not an act. He really doesn't give a shit. You know, about anything, except right. for whatever Bill Murray wants to do. And that's fine. You know, he famously doesn't have an agent or a manager. Good luck trying to get a script to him. But I have never seen an actor less interested in the part he's playing on screen as you do when Bill Murray finally shows up in Ghostbusters Afterlife. Danny Aykroyd throws himself right into it. You, you know, know, I want to say that if you go back in Bill Murray's career, and you go to that moment where he joined Saturday Night Live in the second season of Saturday yeah. Night Live after uh-huh. famously Chevy Chase left. Yeah. Even as a little child, I thought to myself, why is this guy here? He does not care about yeah. anything that he's doing. And yet, he's a brilliant performer. He's a great serious actor. Yeah. He's got so much skill. And yet, the entire time, you're kind of watching him not work it's a put on uh and you know and listen it works perfectly in some roles it worked perfectly in the original ghostbusters and in stripes you know he's he plays the cynical the cynics cynic in all of us who doesn't care but you know that's also a defense mechanism at least in these characters but then every once in a while and listen lost in translation may be his greatest role one of them nominated for best actor yeah you know he's playing a, a, a famous actor who's even maybe more beloved and decorated than bill murray almost like more of a jack nicholson type right that you know international superstar uh who's you know in japan doing these whiskey ads at a time when it was you know that's the only place movie stars would do ads would be overseas now they do them everywhere but what made that role work so beautifully was this eventual vulnerability he showed in this relationship with Scarlett Johansson's character, which was not a cliched May-December romance, much more paternal and helping her. And then he famously says something to her at the end of the movie, and we don't know. We don't know what he says. That I think that yeah. was uh, Sofia Coppola, the director. That was the brilliance of that. was like whatever he said to that young woman was, was, was one of the most important things she was ever going to hear, and nothing that could have been scripted would have carried it. But by that point, we came to understand that this guy did care right. about life okay. and about people. So when he's not playing laconic, yeah. 
I mean, going back to his earliest roles in Caddyshack, yeah. right? Carl. Yeah. I mean, he's not being laconic. I mean, that's 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 a send up character. Yeah. What about Bob? He's excellent in, as you yeah. just mentioned. And then there was a recent film, actually, on the rocks with Rashida Jones. Yeah. Another character portrayal, very similar, actually, to yeah. Lost in Translation. Yeah. Except it's a father-daughter relationship. Yeah. It, he's brilliant. He's great in that. It. If you had a chance to see that movie, see it. So, uh, it's getting back to the you know Ghostbusters Afterlife, it's it's it, 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 he almost should have had a phone in his hand because he was phoning it in so much. That did not work for me. Uh, we also had uh, Dexter came back, and we talked about this you know a couple of months ago with. Um, you know the return of the character from a series that I liked on Showtime a lot. It was about this guy who was a serial killer, but he was always killing people who were worse than him. That right. was the whole conceit of it. And he had this inner dark passenger and everything. And they brought him back, and I didn't think that worked. It was interesting to see his son Harrison, who was a toddler. And by the way, the timeline doesn't work at all because all of a sudden they had to make him a, a high schooler to make this interesting, and he'd only really be like eleven. They do that sometimes where they're just like, well, that's uh, the kid's now a teenager. They'll figure it out. And then we had the Sex in the City sequel, Row. Okay, and I want to talk about And this. just like that. Yes, and let me let me just talk about this. Yeah. This is one of the most hated yet watched shows <laughs> yeah, hate ever watch, on yeah. television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my daughter watches this and then calls me immediately. Have you started watching it yet? <laughs> oh my God, it sucks. It was worse. And she keeps telling me everything that happened inside of the episode. Yeah. And this kind of was kind of funny, but oh my God, it sucked. It's somehow aggravating to the viewer yeah in part because of how the whole thing started you know with the death of big and then you know that now they're introducing a guy who looks like big but he isn't big and then uh, chris Noth and the controversies about him that came out right after that yeah. so he got canceled so then it kind of you know i think they were going to have him in some flashback sequences then they're not now after R that right and and uh, i and quite honestly i think the only guy in this entire thing which I sort of felt like in the the first Sex in the City, is Steve Eigenberg, who his character, who's you know what's her name's boyfriend, husband, husband whatever. No, yeah. <laughs> Although a lot of people are like, man, they man, they really piled it on him nowadays, right? He's got all this shit going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting because I when I reviewed it, I said it was great to see these characters back. It, it I don't think people expected it to be so dark. You know, and part of that is just because, well, the original series was, and listen, there were some, you know, heavy stuff that happened then, too, but it was essentially about, it was a very different time. And they were, you know, four single gals who changed outfits three times a day and had cosmopolitans and, you know, met different men, and then Carrie Bradshaw would write about it. And it was right. actually based on some real-life columns right. by a real-life writer, and it was Candace Sex in Bushnell. the City. Is she yeah. credited in this one as well? Well, I mean, listen, they based it on her, so she's always going to get payment. She's always going right. to get something. I don't think she's but got anything she had to do, nothing with, the to do story, with the production you know? of this. Right? No, and even the original, they took her, you know, she's a wonderful writer, and I met her a few times. She seems terrific. You know, it, it took on a different life of its own, but it was a, it was just a, diff, a very different show. You know, at least with Dexter, Dexter was a killer, and he's still a killer, <laughs> you know, Uh well, in I this mean, case, you know, do, we're, but we're seeing them at different points in their yeah, lives. Things I, happen. You and know, this they're, is, they're in their 50s now. This is the evolution. This is the evolution between being in your late 20s, early 30s to your early 50s. Yeah. This is, I mean, you know, I, I kind of lived their entire trajectory in terms of age. And I, it was, a, you know, a, a different time. It is a different time. And the, and the, 
the show does reflect that nicely, yeah. right? They look different. There's some other variables to life that sort of come into play, right? Like the death of your contemporaries, which, you yeah. know, you don't yeah. really have unless there's a tragedy in the first series. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. I, well, and even, you know, Kim Cattrall famously has split from the other actors for whatever reasons. You know, they all have their own sides of the story. But so the Samantha, is that, she was Samantha, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I know there's a Carrie. <laughs> And then there's... Do we have uh, to do this? I don't know. There's the Ringo, Paul, John, and George. But, <laughs> yeah. but they handle it in the show kind of the same way. And that happens too. Sometimes there's a core group of friends and one splits off for whatever reason. And the other three... Well, that happens to everybody now because of Facebook. Uh, well, yeah, and, and quarantine. But I mean, I mean, it has always, it has long happened where you'd say, oh my God, they were always the four musketeers and now they're the three musketeers. And you ask them, what happened to the other one? Uh, we haven't talked to him for 10 years for whatever reason. And the one person who splits off always thinks that they were wronged. And the other three are always like, I, I don't know, he won't get over this or she won't get over well, this. Well, that's so, why that one person left. Yeah. You know, and they, they, and I they don't, never have friends. And it never, and it never seems to work if they try because it just goes back to the, you know, the original uh, dispute. Right. Uh, now, my favorite of all these, and there's, yeah. you know, there was, uh, you know, there's been Saved by the Bell and the Mighty Ducks Game Changer, which is a new, new generation in one day at a time. Uh, tons of shows have been brought back, sometimes with the original actors, sometimes they just make a cameo. The most fascinating to me is not a reboot or a sequel to a, a TV series, but it's a, it's a, it's a Netflix series that is a, uh, a sequel to a movie, and it's, it's Cobra Kai, bro. Yes, I which uh, Cobra Kai, which I love, and everybody, you know, you mentioned how your daughter kind of hate watches, uh, and just like that, and a lot of people with the Sex in the City reboot, everybody guilt watches Cobra Kai because we, it's so stupid. <laughs> it's and and yet they, first of all, the first Karate Kid, I went back and watched it recently, yeah. 1984, and the math just hit me. The time difference between It's a Wonderful Life and Karate Kid is the same amount of time that has transpired between the original Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. So we're wow. going way back in time. Oh. But, it, you know, it is, it's, uh, it, it was directed by John G. Eldenson, who directed Rocky. People think that, you know, Sylvester Stallone, he wrote it and starred in it and directed later ones. But, you know, he's a, a great kind of standard Hollywood director who knew how to do the, I mean, the Karate Kid is the same story right. as Rocky. It's right. Rocky in a dojo with a teenage kid. And it is just a great 80s movie. Karate Kid 2 is okay. And then it got bad. And yet, with Cobra Kai, they've rung four seasons out of this all-valley karate tournament. And Ralph Macchio and William Zabka, who are, you know, Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence, who got into it in 1984, Mm -hmm. are now 56 years old. And they're still fighting, and they're st- and they're all still saying, "You ruined my life that day." No, you you know you leave me alone. And Crease, <laughs> uh, the Martin Cove character, Crease was a great villain in the original. He's back, running a dojo. He's seventy-seven years old. I mean, the actor and the character are both in their mid-seventies. So you got two guys in their fifties and a guy in their seventies, and then they bring back other villains and heroes from the movies. They all come back. So, you know, there's Elizabeth Shue who played Allie, the love interest. So she comes back. But then some of these other actors, I looked them up, and, and God love them. It's great because they're all getting paychecks. Some of these actors are, were no longer acting. They were in, like, Karate oh, Kid sure. 3 yeah. and became story editors or whatever. And now they're, like, back as the and – But the, the thing that kills me about this is they're so worked up about the All-Valley Karate Tournament under-18 division. And now all the kids, they never, all the high school kids are just beating the shit out of each other 
including the daughters now, because the girls right. are fighting oh, too. Yeah, sure, yeah. So it's like it's like West Side Story, but it's you know I mean there's a fight. They never get on TikTok or study in Cobra Kai. They're just <laughs> fighting all the time, and about every four episodes, even though Daniel and Johnny try to form alliances, they always end up fighting. And you know, to this day, I don't think Ralph Macchio could do karate for shit. He never looked, I mean, but that was the conceit of the original. Mr. Miyagi taught him a couple of cool techniques, right. you know, and send the floor and paint the fence and all that stuff. And he realized he had learned it without learning it. And it was all defense. And then he did that crane move. Mm -hmm. But now, Daniel Russo owns a car agency. He runs a very successful, you know, car agency, auto agency. But when it's time to fight, he still does the thing where he just hops up and down and does that one stance. And you're like, you're not doing karate at all. You know, and yet I love it. You know how there are people who just can't give up on high school? That's what this whole show is. Right. That's, right? And it's for them, too, I think. Yeah. It's for the people who played some form of organized sports with some success in high school, and nothing ever went quite yeah. right for yeah. the rest of their lives. And that's what this is about. And the one thing I find the most, and listen, I like Ralph Macchio, but... I think William Zabka as Johnny Lawrence because he was you know he was the you know the classic Aryan privileged teen villain in the original <laughs> and we only saw you know, skeleton costume at, on Halloween just beating the crap out of people he breaks Ali's you know boombox on the beach yeah. but what we realized from you, his point you're of telling view, me he's a January sixth guy is what you're telling me in 1984 but you know you see yeah. him now and he's kind of he's always drinking coarse good product placement for him you know and he's in a rundown apartment and he's and he's he's you know failed marriage and everything but. And then you hear his backstory. It turns out, yeah, he grew up in privilege, but his stepfather was abusive and horrible. But you also realize from his point of view, like it's always the case almost with the villain, he doesn't think he was the bad guy back in 1984. He had been dating Allie. They had a breakup, and this idiot from Jersey swooped in yeah. and stole his girl. Mm -hmm. And You're really taken with this. And also, <laughs> that All-Valley Karate Championship, you know, that was an illegal kick by Daniel. So he shouldn't even have won. So this is what Johnny wants to... And I want to say one last thing about Okay, all right. all right. All right. Okay. Because I have an analogy okay. for you here. Oh, yeah. No, okay, fine. But my favorite part, it's yeah. completely implausible throughout, mm -hmm. but Carrie Underwood, music superstar, yes. right? Apparently, she's a huge fan of the show. Okay. So she wanted to be on Cobra Kai. So I was like, that's really sweet and nice. So, you know, I figured they'd write her a small role. She could be a mom mm -hmm. at this point, right? I think she'd be old enough to have a high school kid right around yeah, there. Something. Yeah, or maybe. just, you know, she could work at the dealership or, you she's know. She's a country singer. She could have whatever. a grandchild by now. But, and again, this is the All Valley Under 18 Karate Tournament. Okay. All of a sudden, before one of the big matches, they go, and today's entertainment Carrie Underwood, and she comes, she comes out as Carrie Underwood, and I'm like, this would be the equivalent of your son or daughter's soccer game, and all of a sudden, Billie Eilish came out and performed. <laughs> I mean, it makes, it, and they just make it sound like, well, we got her. Yeah, we got her. You yeah. know, somebody knew her, her, her dentist or something, but I'm like, in real life, yeah. I don't think they could afford Carrie Underwood, but it's just hilarious. It'd be like, you know, on Friday Night Lights, if they said, and it's the you know Texas 6A championships, here's Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. You know, they wouldn't be playing there. So. You know, this, you know, this puts me in mind of, this puts me in mind of just wondering if there was ever a moment where Alfred Hitchcock went on like a 20 minute jag about how much he loved and hated Mr. Ed. That's the way that. This sounded to who, me. Who am I in this analogy? You're, you're Alfred Ed? Hitchcock, oh. and it's just a, sort of like 
You're better than this, Richard Roper. No, I'm not. I am worse. <laughs> but but I think we, you know, I just proved my point. There's and they're going to do like a, I, I think at this point in the in the Cobra Kai, they're going to have to start bringing back like somebody that just played, you know, laughing extra in the movie. You know, I, you know what? People are now begging for us to talk about Portillos, so we will do that. Then we got the Thursday three and uh, what not to watch. What not to watch. All right. All right. But first, let me tell you about Portillo's. It's one of my favorite places to eat on the planet Earth. And that is absolutely true. I'm not making that up. I I, I probably order from or eat drive through a Portillo's drive through and eat from Portillo's I probably once a week. Probably, I would say. And you know why? Because they got the best hot dogs. They got the best Italian beef. They got the best Italian sausage. And <laughs> they got great salads. They got great French fries. They got great everything that you want. If it's comfort food or uh, what are they called? Fast casual now. Whatever that is. Mm. You you have got to stop by a Portillo's if you haven't done it yet. And if you live outside of the area in which there are Portillo's, you can order the stuff Online, And I always tell you, order the chocolate cake because it's the best chocolate cake you're ever going to have in your life. You can think, well, now how is a fast casual restaurant in Chicago going to make the best chocolate cake I ever had in my life? Trust me, it is. There are people all over the planet Earth that actually order that cake for their weddings and they build wedding cakes out of the individual chocolate cakes. I'm not making that up. (laughs) Try it. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S. That's how you spell it. Portillo's. Okay, if it's Thursday, it's time for the Thursday Three. But before we do that, it's what not to watch. This first one's a disappointment to me, Ro. It's a feature film. It's called The King's Daughter, based on a, a popular kind of fantasy romance adventure novel. And they've been this is one of those where there was different people casting it for years. And Pierce Brosnan plays, he's the king, okay? And William Hurt is his priest, his counsel. And it gets into this whole thing where the king finds out he has a daughter and he brings her to the castle. But there's a mermaid angle and they capture this mermaid and the king wants to basically kill the mermaid to win the mermaid's powers of eternal life. And it's more ridiculous than it sounds. And it, you know, I I, I get what they're going for, kind of a fairy tale, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's all about fathers and daughters and redemption and you know mer- you know the mermaid of course the daughter befriends the mermaid and she's like that's not a-. they're like that's just a fish and she's like no the mermaid has feelings so you know it's got mm. these kind of modern day messages the king's daughter i think there's a reason why it took so long to get off the ground it, it was a very popular fantasy novel my guess is that it worked better sometimes things just work better on the page where your imagination can yeah, tell the story right. than is a movie Great cast, though. Pierce Brosnan and William Yeah, Hurt. love That's, seeing those two together. It's crazy. What a wig Pierce Brosnan has as the king, too. All yeah. right, now, Ed Helms. We all love Ed Helms. Yeah, yeah. And he's in something that doesn't work. Yeah, Ed Helms and uh, Randall Park, who's terrific as well. So this is a reality show. And, Ro, the premise is kind of great. I think you would have been a great host for this because we know so many people that have one great story. So the idea here is a reality show. Regular people, civilians, submit their stories about the one time they did something. And then they sit down with Ed and Randall and tell the story. And where it goes wrong is most people who had this one great story are not great storytellers. They're like, and then this happened. And you're like, okay, you know, get to it. And then they finally tell you that they, you know, sneak the elephant out of the zoo or whatever the case was on homecoming. 
the real bad part about this, though, is they do those dramatic recreations, and they're just horrible. So oh. the, in the pilot episode of True Story with Ed and Randall, this this crusty old Steelers fan comes down and tells the story about how he and his buddies sneaked into one of the Super Bowls that the Steelers won down in Miami, Terry Bradshaw and the Steelers. Then they really did. They sneaked in. They eventually got a game ball. They talked his way into the locker room. There were newspaper stories about this 24-year-old goofball fan. In this day and age, it would never happen. But he just kind of, and he told people he was, uh, Chuck Knoll was the head coach of the Steelers. And he kept saying, well, I'm Chuck's nephew. And they're like, oh, if you're Chuck's nephew, go ahead. Uh, and the, the, the worst part about this is, and I kid you not, they got Terry Bradshaw to play himself in the recreations oh, in a football uniform. Oh, God. And, or they put his head on somebody else's body. And Terry's an older guy now, but yeah. he's, they put, like, blonde hair on him. And it's just so it's called True Story with Ed and Randall. I like the idea of regular people telling the one great story from their lives, but it's really poorly done. Oh, that's too bad. All right, here are three things you should watch this weekend. Got a great one for you. This is, again, a feature film, and it's a small film called Jockey. And Roe, if people don't know, has been involved for years on and off in the world of horse racing, mm-hmm. knows it very well. Clifton Collins Jr. is a terrific character actor. If you look him up, he's been in so many great movies. He's never had a lead role in his life, and he does now. He plays an aging jockey who has the obligatory one last chance to get a great ride. And this was filmed at Turf Paradise, a real-life track in Arizona, I believe, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And Clifton College Jr. is an actor. Everybody else, all the other jockeys are played by jockeys, a lot of the trainers. So it's got that that realism. But it really gets into the -the behind-the-scenes life of a jockey, the tack rooms and the stables and you know the the toughness of it all. His character has had three broken backs and yeah. it gets into the you know the athleticism that oh. you have to be. I mean studies have been done saying jockeys pound per pound might be the best athletes Strongest in the world. Athletes Strongest athletes in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Without question. But the and the, what they put their bodies through too. I mean they literally have vomit basins and they show him trying to make weight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy what these guys do to their bodies to get through. I mean, it's a little different now. I hope like, mm. we're always hoping in the horse racing industry that it is getting better for them because we try to make it better for them. Uh, but there's still like old school guys who you yeah. know yeah, it's it's a it's a tough life. You know, it, it, Clifton Collins Jr. I'm glad you mentioned this. He's he is um, he's not only a great character actor. But you see, you, you you don't recognize him from film to to TV series he's in, in traffic, Westworld. Then he's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, he's amazing. I I actually have a Clifton Collins Jr. story. Oh, you could tell it to Ed and uh, Randall. <laughs> okay, I just want to say okay. that yeah. this is a story that involves Clifton Collins Jr., okay. Usher, and Lee Ermy. Oh, okay. The four of us were out one night. What? On Rush Street in Chicago, along with the great Billy Rogan, who is a, a manager, agent type guy yeah. in Hollywood, who somehow got all of us together. That's amazing. In this one moment back in the, I would say this was the late 90s, early 2000s. Crazy. So Clifton Collins Jr. was just coming onto the scene. Mm. Usher was in Chicago shooting a movie, just coming onto the scene. Wow. And it was the and craziest Arlie Ermey, night. the famous uh, right Gunnery Sergeant Gunny, Hartman. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's insane. Yeah, it was. Oh uh, man, that the is creation a, of that. Maybe they get Terry Bradshaw oh, to play somebody. I me, I would just say that uh, that is a story that shall live in infamy. And what uh, the four of us did, five of us did to Rush Street that night oh my in gosh. Chicago. That is the most insane. amazing crew. Yeah. Un- so jockey, you're going to love it. Yeah. Uh, and one last thing I loved about this row, when they show the racing sequences, 
Um, it's often just a close-up of uh, Jackson as the character that Clifton Collins Jr. plays. And you could tell on his face where he's at in the race, if he's getting dirt kicked into it, yeah. if it's all breeze. And then, you, I mean, it's an amazing piece of acting because you're like, he just won that race. And then you're like, he didn't win that race. You know, and it's amazing. So the movie's called Jockey. Even if you're not a big horse racing fan, it's just like any other film. It takes you behind the curtain, so to speak, into a world and just gets it right. Yeah. And I love that. Secrets of Playboy, a 10-part A&E documentary. You think we should watch this? Yes, I would say that it didn't need 10 parts. And you and I could tell stories about Playboy, and we've known people who worked there, and I've done some writing for them and was at the mansion a few times. Um, this is not something the, the Playboy legacy will enjoy. This is really about the darkest stories. And we've heard a lot of these before about, um, well, there was a famous case where someone committed suicide. It was very close to have the right. feds were moving in on a drug investigation. There's a lot of former playmates from the 70s, and as recently as like the 2000s who are in this documentary talking about the culture there and things that happen to women, and it's not good. It's it's dark stuff, you know? Well, you know, it is... It seemed at the moment like it was dark stuff. Well, you know, when Hugh Hefner died a few years ago, it was it was fascinating to see because there were, you know, there was a, a lot of a lot of tributes because there was no denying he campaigned for gay rights very early on, women's rights on some level, civil rights, and was considered this pioneer. And there were a lot of women who said, "Listen." You know, I was in Playboy. It was my choice. I owned my body. I was never abused. And then there were a lot of other people saying, no, 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 no. This, you know, he objectified women for 50 years. And so, you know, there is a complex story. Uh, they make it clear in this documentary, too, that, you know, there was never any criminal charges filed against Hugh Hefner personally, right. ever. And a lot of these allegations that are made, people either denied them or were not available for comment. But it's clearly slanted in favor of a lot of very credible people who were there. And it's not always that it was under Hugh Hefner's watch. I guess it was under his purveyor. Wasn't necessarily something that Hugh Hefner, what, what was he aware of? What was he not aware of? That always comes down to it. But it was also about, you know, guests at the mansions and things that happened at the Playboy clubs and certain executives, male executives there and how women were treated. And you listen to some of these stories and there's, I have no doubt they're telling the truth. I have no doubt they're telling the truth. So it's a 10-part A&E documentary. I think it probably didn't need to be 10 parts, but it's a, it's a valuable, valuable piece of work. And then season four of Ozark. Yeah. I'll just say. Yes, sir. Jason Bateman has had the most astounding career. We got to meet him about five, seven years ago now. Mm -hmm. He is such an interesting individual, great creative mind. Yeah. And you stop and you think about his career. Everybody thought his sister was going to be the biggest star. Justine, yeah. Right? And then he just took off. Every one of his projects seems like it's gold. Well, and he had that, you know, that kind of that typical arc where he was a child actor, and then he had about 10 years where nobody would hire him because he was just from a traditional type sitcom, and then Arrested Development came along, right. and tons of movies where he's great, and Ozark, which is, I think, his, you know role of a lifetime so season four and for people who have followed it this was originally a couple from chicago they're on the lamb he's the financial consultant who was laundering money for the cartel and that never goes well uh this is the last season they actually the first three seasons were each 10 episodes for season four this is season four part one because they wanted to do 14 episodes to really tie up the story so this is a seven episode arc i've seen all seven episodes if you're into ozark it's as good as it's ever been. Wow. You know, and, and the one thing about Ozark, you know, and I'll say that I'm glad they're wrapping up too because a lot of these stories like Breaking Bad, like Sons of Anarchy, you get to a certain point where you're like, okay, the body count is gone to extreme lengths here. They need to wrap this up. This guy either needs to get caught 
or get killed or get away with it. And you can't just have, you know, some stories starting to repeat themselves. But the one thing Ozark has always been able to do is shock you because somebody all of a sudden who is, you know, in the middle of the series and you think is absolutely irreplaceable gets blown away. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yes, exactly. So Ozark season four is terrific as well. A lot of good stuff out there. All right. The Rowan Roper Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. I want to thank our executive producers, Renee Nelson and Tim Alanius, and our long-suffering producer and production director, Demita Menezes. See you next time.